Episode, a third edition of Up Back Through, a soccer coaching podcast uh, brought to you by Running the Show, a blog for everyone in love with the beautiful game. Uh, this is Eddie Prue coming to you live from Seattle, Washington. I am a uh, player development specialist and I am the head of soccer at Ford Sports Performance in Bellevue, Washington. And uh, yeah, joined always by our uh, UEFA certified coach from Sweden, David Cellini. David, welcome again. Episode three, how are you doing? Good morning to you. Good morning, Eddie. I'm doing really well. Uh, lovely start, as we've said the last two episodes, to start the day with, with you uh, in, in this way, talking about football. So, yeah, couldn't be better. Yeah, not a bad way to end the day either, So because that's what I'm doing over here in Seattle. You are just starting your day over there in Sweden, and uh, we're going to talk some soccer. And it's going to be a fun episode today because it's just kind of a uh, an episode that everyone does on their own anyway. You know, everyone's a dream a dream team manager. Everyone's a football manager uh, guru. And so that's what we're doing. We're talking about one team. We're talking about tactics, and we're talking about player signings and how they can improve how their season has been uh, and where they go from here, really, because they are under achieving a little bit at the moment and we're talking about Juventus in Serie A um, so David I know you have um, some some Italian heritage and you've always been uh, most uh, I wouldn't say more interested in Italy than the Premier League or uh, Spain or elsewhere but you always had uh, you know a soft spot for Italian football so um, yeah I kind of uh, want to hear what your uh, thoughts are on Juventus's season so far and what the uh, What's been going on in Tiran? Yeah, uh, you're absolutely correct that I I do have a soft, soft spot for Italian football. Um, so for 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 me, everything that goes on in that league is interesting in a way. And uh, <clears throat> Juventus's performances this season have really been interesting because they won the league for nine years on the spin. So they've absolutely dominated the league and. In the last Crazy. decade, really. Uh, yeah. So, for them to now this season not look like they're they're gonna win it uh, is, you know, it's a really big deal. Uh, it's like you know the end of the end of times that Juventus are actually third or fourth in the league. Uh, so it's it's a big talking point, and Italy is a big talking point in you know everywhere, really in in Europe when we talk about Italian football, and I think. It's good when you when you look at teams like this, like a team like Juventus, who have been so dominant that you have some kind of a measured approach to the way you look at it. Because very few teams, very few clubs go about winning leagues for 10 years in a row. Uh, so it's only natural that you have some kind of drop off at, at some point. Um, and I think if you look at Juventus this season, they've ob- obviously underachieved. In terms of the players they've got, in terms of the you know past performances, so while that could still be quite you know understandable and reasonable that they have this one year when they drop off a bit, uh, the performances, if you go by stats, you know they haven't really been that bad because 
according to to uh, the xg expected points the xg tables that uh, understat.com draws up they um, juventus are supposed to be top in terms of the performances so they've underachieved in terms of of winning games they actually should have based on the performance should have won uh, so in terms of, of expected points juventus are the best team in in italy they've underachieved by i think they should have had three or four more points while inter for example have massively overachieved uh, in terms of results versus performances so they i think they have almost 12 points more than they should have and if you have look at that swing then juventus would be top obviously so uh, it's not as bad as it seems but it's not as good as it should be uh, so that's why we do this episode because we want to look at the few things that we think uh, Juventus could do better already for starting next season. Yeah, and like you mentioned, I mean, a team winning a league nine times in a row is uh, just insane. So watching a team like Juventus struggle is, uh, you know, you have to scratch your head a little bit, especially when you take into uh, account the statistic that you just shared where they, you know, it's basically a fact that they have really underachieved. So, um what what has changed? What what tactically? What's different this year? What's uh, what's the problem that Andrea Pirlo hasn't uh, been able to address? I mean, Juventus are really interesting in a tactical sense because they had a long dominant spell, as as we've as we've mentioned and as we've established by now. That first under Antonio Conte and then under Massimiliano Allegri, where they were very flexible. They they used to dominant games yes but they were very solid defensively they were built on that bedrock of a of a of a defense with Buffon and goal and then a back three of, of Barsali, Bonucci and Chiellini uh, and everything kind of flowed from that and they in some games when they came up against other good teams in Italy they would just drop off defend low and then look to counter-attack teams despite you know probably having the best players but they were really pragmatic in that way uh, and Juventus they wanted to change that they wanted to go in a different direction and I think that's the whole swing that's gone on with the club. So they, they've they tried to identify different signings that they probably haven't made before. Like So they brought in Cristiano Ronaldo uh, ahead of Allegri's last season to make them go that last step to actually win the Champions League after going to two finals on, uh, under Allegri. Uh, but then they've also looked at other types of signings. They've, 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 for, lo- for a long time, they dominated the transfer market in terms of making free signings. So they looked at signing... Oh, like maybe not older players, but they look to find good deals, and they, I think they've maybe yes, taken that yeah. a bit a bit too far. So they brought in players like Tevez and Pogba, and uh, I think Arturo Vidal as well on free transfers. And Pirlo as well, were, I believe too. Yeah, yeah, Pirlo as well. Yeah, he's he, the coach himself. Now he's the best <laughs> example, perhaps. Like they they did really well in terms of of spotting players that had their contracts running out and they picking them up uh, for free, and then they've tried to keep doing that, and and as they've done so as well as they've had a, a big cultural shift, which which started last summer, or 2019, when they brought uh, Maurizio Sarri in, uh, because they wanted to change the style of play, because they felt that if we're going to win the Champions League, we need to be more uh, we need to be more attacking in a way. They need, needed to be better in possession. Uh, so they weren't bad, but they wanted to go even further. They wanted to reach the... Know, the pinnacle of, of how a team like Barcelona and the Guardiola played, uh, which a lot of clubs, they, they have that as some kind of dream to get to that level and they aspire to be like that Barcelona team. And, and I think that's what Juventus wanted to do. Uh, so they had, that was a, kind of a problem they had that they changed 
the style of play quite dramatically, uh, which normally wouldn't be a problem. But then when the signings didn't really match the way they wanted to play, uh, they they had a season last season where they won the league, uh, which was obviously you know the, the ultimate uh, test of, of a team's quality in the league if if you can win it. And they did under Sari, but they were still not happy with him, so they replaced him with with Pirlo, who obviously had never coached a team before. He he joined their under-23s, I think. They're called under-23s or under-21s, just like a week before being then announced as the head coach of the first team. So he had about a week of training with the under-21s before earning the chance to be first team manager. So they took a bit of a risk, but they obviously believed in something that Pirlo could, could offer. So in terms of what he's changed tactically then, I mean, you can look at the way Juventus defend now and see that they are... They've gone back to uh, a very compact lineup. They've, Sadi's teams are, are compact as well, but they press more high up the pitch. Juventus now have, are a bit more uh, reserved in the way they defend. So sometimes they go and press, sometimes they drop off, and they normally do it in a, in a compact 4-4-2. Uh, so they look at forcing a team to play to one side and then really overload around the ball and try and, and press teams aggressively when they actually start to press. So so they might not start to press right when the other team starts building from the back. They might let them have the ball, but then when they reach, I don't know, around the center circle, they might press aggressively as a team and then they try to steer the ball to one side and then just overload uh, without paying attention to players on the opposite side because they are taken out of the game if you can win the ball on that side. Uh, so that's, that's what they do defensively. Uh, and that's very similar to how they've played in the past with, with Allegri uh, in particular. Where where Juventus really do stand out in terms of, of what is interesting and the way they attack uh, and where some of their problems lie because defensively they're good like the, the best team in Italy defensively they have the best uh, goals conceded record. Right. Uh, <clears throat> but in terms of of going forward, uh, is very big on fluidity and positional freedom and he wants players to rotate in and out of positions. Uh, by and they always look to create a lot of passing triangles and and even diamonds around the ball carrier to ensure that the, the ball is progressed smoothly from back to front. Uh, and they're quite good at that in, the, in their own half. I think that their build-up play is, is pretty good. They have some issues that individual players make, uh, some sometimes you know irretrievable and, unex- and un- inexplicable uh, mistakes in terms of how they use the ball. They've, they've lost... Uh, in the Champions League to Porto this season, which was a big disappointment. And in that first game, uh, the centre midfielder, Rodrigo Bentancourt, just gave the ball away uh, inside his own box. And they had a game at the weekend where they lost the ball uh, in midfield before going on to concede a goal. And it was the same a few weeks ago when they lost to to, to Benevento. So they have a few individual problems in the build-up, uh, but they really try and look to play from the back. So what they do often... So from this 4-4-2 shape, they push one fullback high. So say the left back goes high and the left winger comes inside. So the left winger comes inside to become like a third center midfielder. And the left back becomes like a winger. Uh, and on the opposite side, the right back uh, comes inside. So he becomes a third center back. So the shape kind of becomes 3-5-2 when they have the ball. Uh, and 4-4-2 when they don't have the ball. Uh, so that's the normal, normal way they play. Um, and the issue that they've had is that the, the, they move the ball quite nicely in the first two, in the first phase. So they move the ball between the defense and the defensive midfield quite well. 
but they've lacked like a presence between the lines of the opposition. So they get often to to midfield and then they have to go wide because there's no one to link the play centrally. And they have to go wide and then they look to attack through crosses mostly, which can be quite predictable at times, even though they have some of the best, you know, aerial threats in European football with Ronaldo and, and, uh, and Alvaro Morata in, often in the box. Um, so that's the big thing, I mean, in, in terms of tactics. Positional freedom, rotate in and out, doesn't matter who... Uh, you know, fills a certain space as long as someone does it. So that's the big thing. And that's very similar to Guardiola in a way that it doesn't matter if it's the right back or the or the right winger who attacks down the wing. The important thing is that someone does. Um, and then that leads us nicely into... And the last thing I want to pinpoint with the tactics that if you look at the way uh, they they play, I said that in most games they play that 4-4-2 come 3-5-2 setup. However, they had a really interesting performance against uh, Inter in the in the Coppa Italia uh, semi-final, I think it was, when they, this is this is be- probably best for most people to look at our, let's uh, check out on our website. Uh, so go to runningtheshowblog.wordpress.com to see like tactical diagrams that I've created for, for this section of, of because uh, we actually like the whole podcast episode today is based on an article we did for for the website so you can go into even more depth there uh, but they they had an interesting setup in that game where they made sure that both wingers in the so they played in a 4-4-1-1 I would say so one striker up front and then a number 10 which was Dejan Kulusevski so they played with both their wingers uh, out on the on the touchline so they maintained width and then both fullbacks would rotate into midfield, uh, like Guardiola fullbacks often do. So you can really see the influence of, of Guardiola on Pirlo's style of play. So they would rotate both fullbacks inside to become like centre midfielders. Then they would drop one of the centre midfielders in as a as a holding midfielder, as a pivot in front of the centre backs, while the other one would stay in like a straight line ahead of him. And then they would have the number ten. So. Uh, they actually created a diamond in midfield with the fullbacks moving in, one centre midfielder dropping off, and then they had the number 10 as the tip of the diamond, but they also had an extra player in the middle of that diamond, and that's something I've never seen before. Uh, so that was really interesting. It shows that Pirlo has some interest in ideas on how to dominate you know, football in terms of getting players in the central areas and staggering the team in there. Uh, so... There are interesting aspects, but there are still things that can be improved. And that's especially how they get players in between the opposition's midfield and defensive lines to go and link the play from back to front, really. Right. And it's an interesting point that uh, you bring up just now that, you know, like there was one uh, really good specific uh, instance of um, where you could really see that Pirlo had some 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 innovative thoughts and some kind of like new ideas for tactics and uh, I want to just highlight that I think it's I, I think it's uh, an interesting uh, thing when you can kind of tell what a coach um, is trying to mold their game off of based on what the how they were as a player. So when you see a coach like Pirlo and uh, you see a coach like Pep Guardiola, you you gotta think that these are two coaches that were central midfield players of different qualities. But um, that's kind of, you know, like when you when you have the perspective of central midfield as opposed to a coach who was a defender or an attacking player, 
the midfielder will, will kind of focus on the whole, the fluidity part, the whole part that's, uh, you know, how can we uh, have balance and attack and defense, not just, if, for example, if you have a coach that was a center back or something, they might focus too much on how do we not concede and too little on how mm. do we attack. And so I think that has some, I, I think that's worth uh, mentioning that because Pirlo was such a intelligent player and not only an intelligent player, but an intelligent you know, free space player, a player who could operate in the center of the field and knew that how quickly, you know, defense could turn to attack and vice versa. I think that kind of shapes the way he's trying to play and the, some of the uh, game plans that he's trying to construct. But anyway, um, let's move on to the more fun, for me, the more fun part. You know, this is the uh, the transfer market football manager part where we get to say uh, where have they gotten it right and where do they need to work on things and evaluate some players in uh, some different positions. Um, so with midfield being, you know, this kind of like new fluid uh, animal that Pirlo is trying to create, what, what, what do you, th- is that the one, the one place that Juventus need to address more than anywhere else is the center of midfield? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think as, as we've mentioned Pillow is, as you say, some of the things he does uh, are very innovative. And uh, I think it, it, if he sticks around and he can maybe implement this type of, of, of setup I just talked about, as I said, I've never seen that. I've seen so many teams and I've analyzed so many teams. I've never seen a team play in that manner. And if he can do that on a consistent basis, he will, you know, not revolutionize, but he will definitely leave his mark on football. I mean, that's something I, I've never seen any team do to have five center midfielders really in possession uh we can see it sometimes with teams that play very narrow with with wingers and they come inside but it's not really the same thing this was actually really you know thought out planned uh kind of dynamic sometimes players would go so the left back would come inside or, or it, maybe he didn't and then he stayed out wide and that winger would come inside instead and they so so if he can get that working on a consistent basis he will he will revolutionize the game in a way uh and to do that he need the right players uh, he needs he needs the right players because if you look at the players they they've let go over the last I don't know seven six or seven years I mean the midfield they had in the 2015 Champions League final included Pirlo at the base of midfield and they had Marquisio and Pogba either side of him and Arturo Vidal in front I mean that's one of the you know strongest and best midfield you'll mm-hmm. you'll see uh, it's it's off the scales really and then a few years later they replaced uh, Pirlo with with Miralem Pjanic from Roma, who had you know a really good three or four seasons at the club and led them to another Champions League final and is now at Barcelona. Uh, so when he left, they lost that kind of uh, defensive midfield presence who could you know easily link the play from back to front. So with his passing range, he could you know skip skip a step, so he could just get the ball and then just play it in behind for a striker. Uh, he didn't need that number 10 to link the play as well. He he was like a number 10 and a number 6, if you want to call a defensive midfielder that, in, like in the same player. So he played deep, but he was still like a number 10. He was always one of the most creative players in the league. Uh, and they haven't been able to replace him. So if you look at the midfield options they have now, they have the likes of, of Artur, who is a, he's a good you know, technical passing player. Uh, it's not really the one who would go and create chances in a way. And... And the same goes for for Adrian Rabiot. Now, on on the subject of Art, Artur, what it, it's such a weird like transfer saga that kind of uh, like took place with him and Pjanic kind of swapping places. 
it, it, it was such a weird kind of, I mean, they're different players, but it was a similar transfer fee and it was also such a large age gap. And it was just, it was just such a weird uh, kind of swap that I, I don't know if, do you, do you think that Juve were planning on replacing Pjanic uh, with Arthur's straight swap? Because Arthur's passing is just nothing near where Pjanic is. So is that no, what they were trying to do, or were they thinking Betancourt is now going to sit deep and kind of be that, be that you know holding midfield player? Yeah, I think I think if you're being really, uh, what to say, maybe skeptical uh, against Juventus dealings in the transfer market in the last well, 18 months to two years, uh, that was a way of, of balancing the books in a way because um, they they could get the money in from Pjanic and write that into that year's books and then they could probably have the Arthur deal split up over a couple of years because they've had some, uh, some financial problems and likewise for Barcelona so I think that deal was really weird um, they, they're nothing at all diff- like uh, similar as players and uh, they're very different and uh, I think for Artur he sh- his position is to play as a, as a number eight quite a little bit higher up and basically just you know recycling possession uh, using his because he's a really good player in terms of evading pressure and stuff. So he, he's really good to have in a team that looks to dominate possession. But he's not going to be the main creative force. And he's not going to be the... No. He's not a defensive midfielder either. So as you pick up... Bentancur is probably the one I, I see as the long-term option. He's, he's probably the best one they have. Uh, and he... I think he's also better playing a little bit further up uh, than playing as the sole anchor in, in the midfield area. Yeah. So. That's why we we talked when we when we looked through the squad and was like, where can we actually you know find some players for them to sign? We thought you know what they need a defensive midfielder uh, first and foremost. That's that's the main thing. They need someone who can uh, improve them defensively in terms of of his positioning and maybe his defensive ability, but mostly his ability to link play so they can move some players higher up the pitch, uh, which would negate the need to have two or three players supporting the back four. Uh, to progress the ball, they could just have one player there, and then they can move players up and play between the lines, which would help them massively. So, so who is the player we picked out there, Eddie? Because I know that you and I were we were on the same page with this one. Yeah, this one was for both of us. I think a pretty easy uh, decision. Manuel Locatelli, who plays for Sassuolo in Serie A, as well, um, 23 years old, I believe, capped several times, and probably. How many caps does he have? Somewhere around ten, maybe, for for Italy. But uh, he's go ahead and or let me let me tell you what I love about him first, and then you can go ahead and um, elaborate even more on how he would fit into the system there, Juventus. But for me, uh, Locatelli is probably one of the best two-way midfield players that I've uh, that I've seen in recent. I don't want to say that, but he's he's an incredible two-way player. He is really aggressive in uh, in defense. He 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 really wants to uh, win the ball and turn defense into attack. Uh, he's really aggressive in that way too. He he reminds me of um, of Adrian Rabio in a more aggressive and and more of a you know like kind of win the ball and and directly go forward type of player. Whereas Rabio is. Uh, defensive minded but not he's not going to spark an attack like Locatelli can he's he's 100% defense and 100% offense he's he's very mobile he's uh he's got very good technical ability he's um got a good range of passing and so for me that's those are all things that he would bring to Juventus he's Italian as well he's young 
Um, he's a really exciting player. So go ahead. You can go and elaborate on that, please. Yeah, no, I think you you hit the nail on the head. I mean, he's he's mostly been playing as a as a, like they, he plays Sassolo, who for people that haven't watched them, they're a brilliant team to watch. Uh, probably the most exciting team in Italy, bar Atalanta, I guess. Uh, and <clears throat> he plays in a, in a midfield too, so it's him and another midfielder usually, and and he is the one tasked with really dropping in to get the ball and, and start attacks and and he's really good at threading passes through the lines. So he doesn't only yes. Yes. he doesn't only keep the ball by, you know, playing side sideways, side to side, or maybe, you know, pinging the ball from the center out to the wing area. He's actually really good at playing the passes that actually hurt the team. So playing the, the ball through an open opponent's midfield into a number ten or a striker or a winger coming inside. Uh, so they can then turn and attack the defense pace, which is as a, as a defending team, you don't want players in that area. So with with someone like Locatelli joining a team like Juve with the players they have in other areas, uh, if if someone like that can come in and th- make those passes through the lines, I mean teams would would struggle with the likes of Chiesa or or Ronaldo mm-hmm. who it might be running at them. So he's someone who could really elevate Juventus's because Juventus they they keep the ball well. That's not the issue. They they, they have a lot of the ball, but they aren't. They aren't as dangerous as they should be, so they they don't threaten teams, especially in central areas, like they should do, uh, based on how dominant they normally are in terms of just keeping possession. So he would go, he he could change the way of of playing from just keeping the ball to actually keeping the ball, but also going on to hurt the other team. So that's why that's why we think he's really good. Uh, we have a few other options for, to play in defensive midfield. One of them is already in house. Uh, the 19-year-old Nicolo Rovella. Uh, he signed for for uh, Juventus in January uh, from Genoa, uh, but was loaned back. Uh, he's someone who is perhaps even more stylish than Locatelli in the way he plays. He he's really, really, really good in in possession, uh, and he's quite dynamic as well. And he can he can dribble the ball forward and break lines in in that manner. Uh, I think he would still benefit from another year at Genoa, but he's definitely someone for the future and. And someone that they obviously believe in, um, so we probably shouldn't expect him to come in and and you know take over and, and become the main man in Juventus's midfield after just well, I think he's only had one season in, in Serie A, but he's definitely one for the future. And the third option we have is someone who's might even be more solid defensively than Locatelli, and that's that's a guy mm-hmm. called uh, João Palinha who plays for Sporting in in Portugal. Uh, he plays at the base of midfield. Uh, of a three-man midfield, so he's a proper defensive midfielder. He's very good on the ball. His his passing and his touches is, is really good. Uh, but he's also brilliant in terms of his defensive ability. So he reads the game well. He's a strong presence, like physically, he's a good tackler. Uh, so he's someone who can um, bring a level of stability to a team. So he can allow a team to have more creative players higher up, uh, maybe have two creative centre midfielders ahead of him because he's so good defensively. So if they want to go in that direction and have a more defensive presence, I think he's better defensively than Locatelli is, but he might not be as good on the ball. So that's where we stand probably at the defensive midfield area. Right. And uh, Paulinha is, I think, a player we're going to start hearing more and more about. He's going to be uh, linked to teams uh, more frequently and just bigger teams. He's He's making a name for himself uh, in Lisbon. But uh, one thing I want to highlight about what Locatelli brings is uh, 
his ability you mentioned his ability to you know to find those uh line splitting passes but uh for me one of the things that stuck that sticks out when i watch him play is his he's such a his bravery uh to yeah. to stay in possession you know to beat to beat a line of pressure by himself um so that he can uh have the opportunity to make those passes um in possession he's very very comfortable he's very confident in his ability to st- to keep uh his body between him, you know the defender and the ball and uh he's yeah there's no other way to say it than he's brave he's very brave to stay in possession and be able to find those passes so then moving on to central midfield um these signings that i'm going to suggest are probably a little bit of a long shot uh some big money but i would love to see him at juventus i think they would be uh fabulous uh, fantastic signings so i had eduardo camavinga a uh, young French midfielder who plays at Rennes right now in Ligue 1. Um, very mature player, very much a t- uh, dynamic two-way player like uh, Locatelli, strong in the uh, in the tackle, um, very focused on turning defense into attack, and a uh, very creative player, very good in possession, can dribble, can pass, is left-footed. Um, yeah, definitely going to end up at a big club in Europe at some point. Um, I'd love to see him at Juventus or anywhere else in Spain. Um, anywhere in Spain, anywhere else in Italy, perhaps as well. But he is definitely one for the future. Um, another potential long shot would be Fabian Ruiz from Napoli. Uh, this guy, I think, is one of the best um, midfielders in terms of technique and uh, intelligence. Uh, he can chip in with goals from time to time. He would be a lot of. He would be expensive, but he would be a marquee signing, and uh, I think he would be definitely capable of uh, bringing that quality uh, to midfield that Pirlo would want um, for his uh, for his styles of play. But uh, Dobbs, I know you have several players for central midfield. So what uh, what are your thoughts here? Yeah. So as as we mentioned, I think they need to to look at people who can add a bit of creativity to the team, and I think there are some really good options for that within Serie A actually, and. Um, one thing that they've always done, you is go to sign the best players from their rivals. So I will start here by uh, talking about Lorenzo Pellegrini, who is one of the absolute best midfielders in, in Serie A and might even be one of the best in Europe. He, he's someone who can play as a number 10. He can also play as a number 8. And he's extremely creative. He's one of the you know top creators in, in Italy every season. And He's, he's in the national team picture as well and is rotated around with, with the likes of Verratti and Nicolo Barella and Jorginho and, and Locatelli. And he's someone who will have a big future wherever he stays. Uh, I mean, he, he is the captain of Roma and he's a homegrown hero there. So it's going to be difficult to prize him away. But he's someone who would who would uh, bring a lot of creativity to, to the central core uh, of Juventus team. Uh, he uh, he's For example, he has six assists this season, uh, despite often playing deeper in midfield and he's created more chances uh, per 90 minutes than anyone uh, in the Juventus team so so he will be a really good signing a bit of a statement signing as well just like just like Fabian Ruiz um, I think another one who's interesting is another Italian and that would be Mat- Matteo Pessina who plays for Atalanta uh, he's had a really good season there and he had a really good season at, at Hellas Verona uh, the season before uh, he's not a creator maybe like like Pellegrini he's more of a dynamic multifunctional midfielder uh, the type Pirlo likes because he can play in different positions and he's 
equally good on the ball as he is off the ball. So he would be more of a of a of a pressing uh, midfield player who can who can uh, contribute with clever runs uh, into the box and where he uh, kind of arrives in the box from deep uh, and which those types of runs are really difficult to deal with as a defense because it's difficult to pick them up. Uh, and as well, he, he has some smart passing ability as well. So he's someone who could be more of a more of a signing for the future. I think he's he's still 23, so he's quite young. He's quite young, but he seems to be very hungry, and he's a talented player who would represent clever business. I think if they want to bring in someone who will be more of a more of a rotational option, he wouldn't probably go in and start, but he would be a good option to have. Uh, and the final one that I thought of in in central midfield is. Uh, an Argentinian playing at Udinese, and his name is Rodrigo De Paul. Uh, he is 26 and has been one of Italy's most consistent creators for you know several seasons. Um, he can as as he can play as well at number 10 as he can as a, as a central midfielder as a number eight, just like Pellegrini. Uh, this season he has mostly played as an eight at, at Udinese, but he uh, has still created the third most chances in the league. Uh, he, I think it's 2.4 per 90 minutes, and Chiesa is Juventus' best creator with 1.7. Um, and De Paul, he has only contributed five assists, but his expected assists uh, is a whopping 10.38. So he he should have had five more assists than he actually, you know, does have. So uh, for that, he is the best. His number of expected assists is the highest in the, in the in Serie A. So if he had the likes of Ronaldo finishing his his passes, his assist numbers could soar. So he's someone who they I think would really benefit from playing with better players. And his ability on the ball would set him apart in this Juventus team because he could, as I said, equally drop into central midfield as he could play as a number ten, and he would really help them going forward in terms of of central creation and creativity in central areas. Interesting, and let's um, let's not uh, forget we 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 decided on one player that we both agreed on, and that is Sergei Milinkovic Savage from Lazio. Um, yeah. I waiting to see this guy at a bigger club for so long. I don't know. I mean, it, the price tag is just. I I think I asked you a couple of years ago, like, when is this guy going to go somewhere? And I think you said that the price tag was just too much at the moment. Um, but he's. I mean, this guy. He's just such an imposing, like just big, technical, powerful, um, just presence, you know, like he's, he's yeah. just like just so imposing, just so confident in possession high up the field. Um, and that's partly due to just like his physical strength. You know, he can kind of keep everyone at an arm's length because he's so long and so strong. Um, but I would love to see this guy at a bigger club like Juventus. I think that's kind of that would be kind of like the marquee signing that Juventus would need after, you know, Ronaldo calls it quits. And I'm not saying that he would replace Ronaldo in terms of, you know, goal production uh, or even playing in the same position, but he would be the kind of, he would be the quality, the the size signing, the quality signing that I think Mm. Juventus would need need to make to really like, you know, keep themselves uh, and not just him, but keep themselves in contention for, for trophies in Europe. But um, what do you have to say about Milinkovic Savage? No, I agree. He, I, I love him. He's an absolutely brilliant player. Uh, he can, he can, you know, contribute with his physicality, as you say, or or with his creativity. I think he is second for assists in Serie A this season. So he's definitely someone who, 
who is very creative and can can bring a team something like that. And then obviously he he scores goals as well. Uh, he's really good from set pieces with his free kick taking being probably the, the mm-hmm. pick of the bunch. Uh, so he's someone who would improve any team, I think. And and I, I think he would be very expensive, uh, obviously. But but if Juventus, if their financial situation is better than than what I've heard in the last couple of years, then they feel that they have the opportunity to go and sign him. Uh, I would I would go for him uh, any day of the week because he's someone who would you know make them so much better in an instant. So he would be a really good option. Yeah, I would agree. I would I, Locatelli and him in, in in midfield I think would be um, a little bit unstoppable. But um, let's move to the wing, shall we? What do you uh, What do you think they need to do out wide? Uh, yeah, I think as we've said. Pillow only wants one player in in the wide area, so so he only wants one player on each wing, and then he wants the rest of the players centrally to dominate the ball and, and get in between the lines of the opposition. Uh, so I think it's important for the wide players at Juventus to be very good in one v one situations. They need to be able to to beat their man and and attack the wide areas with pace uh, and use the trickery and crossing ability to to create chances. Uh, so to maintain that even if we even if Juventus make you know some of the signings we've talked about here to improve them in central areas. They need to retain that ability and the weapon of attacking through the wide areas because otherwise teams would just you know be very narrow and they would be tough to break down. If they have the threat from the wide areas, uh, they can they can be more of a complete attacking outfit. Uh, so I think Chiesa is a really good player that they already have. Um, so yeah, uh, I think with with Federico Chiesa. Uh, being one of the options, he's one who's who fits into this, you know, brilliantly. He's probably been Juventus' best player this season. So uh, his ability to play on both wings is very very good for the team because they that leaves them open to being very flexible with the positioning of other players. Uh, and I think what someone who would you know be really good for them, they actually own him as well. That would be Douglas Costa, who's out on loan at Bayern Munich right now. Uh, he is this type of player who he would he would thrive in the situation Juventus create out wide when they generate opportunities for the wingers to attack fullbacks at pace. Uh, his pace and his trickery and his his ability to cross the ball uh, would improve Juventus in an instant. I mean, he's more of a of a traditional winger than the likes of Kulusevski or Bernadeschi that they've used mm-hmm. this season. Uh, and they also have Juan Cadrado who can play right back or or can play. On the wing, so so I think they have some good options. So I think this is an, an area where they could actually, you know, keep their money and just bring Costa back and, and get him up to speed. Uh, but I know that you have you have found some options for them to actually go and sign. Yeah, and again, I I like to throw in you know things that I don't necessarily think will happen or um, you know even should happen really. But <laughs> uh, but something like so here's an example of a of a real curveball like. Anthony at uh, Ajax, a young Brazilian player. Um, I don't, I haven't seen enough of him yet. I don't think he's proven himself just yet. But if he, if he does pan out, um, you know, if everything that he's done is not is replicable for him down the years and at different levels and different teams, then I think he will end up being a really, really top uh, attacking winger um, in Europe for years to come. Uh, Pedro Neto, I think, has been a really bright spot in an otherwise pretty 
pretty dull season at Wolves. Um, he's really come into his own and is really, uh, when he, when he kind of, you know, likes when he gets into areas where he can take player, players on, on the wing. Um, I think he, uh, is a very dangerous young player who, uh, will either end up somewhere else in England or somewhere else in Europe at some point. But, uh, I think he could be a very exciting player for them. And I'd also like to see what he's capable of, uh, centrally actually. But, um, the one that makes the most sense to me, uh, if it does become available, I know there's been talk, but um, we'll, we'll see what happens in the summer. But if Riyad Mahrez remains unhappy at Manchester City, um, and I'm not, I, I there was a there was a time earlier in the season where it was heavily rumored that he was you know not happy with his role, but uh, I, I haven't heard anything recently. If he if he does want to move away from the Etihad, then uh, I think that would be a really good signing. He's as good a winger you're gonna, as you're going to find in Europe at the moment um, on his day. He's got the capability of playing, of being one of the best attacking players in the world. And uh, I think that would be one of those signings where they could get him for cheaper than what his actual value is if he, if he wanted to move away from Manchester City. Uh, whether mm. they let him or not, I, but I, I think that would be an outstanding signing. Um, mm. What do you, do you have another one uh, for the wing, or do you want to move up to the striker position? No, no, no real wingers. I just want to quickly mention Pedro Goncalves at Sporting. Uh, he mm. he scored. He's a, he's more of an attacking midfielder or, or someone who can even play up front, uh, and he scored 15 goals for them. Uh, and he's he would be an intriguing player to bring in. I mean, he's someone who thrives in in this space in front of the opposition's defensive line that that we've talked about that they need strengthen. Um, and, I mean, he's only had one season at the top club, so it might be sensible to let him have another year in, in Portugal. But he's someone that you should keep a close eye on because if he can keep up this level of performance for another year, I mean, that guy will definitely go and, and sign for for a different team uh, in a big league uh, very soon, I think. So he's someone who's very interesting for, for to play in attacking midfield. But, but, I mean, the most interesting one, before we go to strikers, I just want to touch on him. Because uh, we've had a, a full episode almost without mentioning Paulo Dybala, who I think is <laughs> one of the absolute best number tens you can find. I mean, he you yeah. had an example the other day when he came on against Napoli, and he just in a few moments he just picked up the ball in the areas where Juventus were struggling to get the ball, and and then you know he had scored a goal, brilliant left-footed curled effort within I don't know five minutes of coming on, and if he can be. Uh, performing consistently if they can get him you know fit and ready to play every week and he can get back to the performances he's had in the past i mean then there's no real need to sign a number 10 uh because then he will be that player but he hasn't been and that's that's the issue because if he plays in there and creates and he can links up with a striker uh, especially with some of the strikers we will discuss now um i mean that's one of the best signings if you will that they could make because he's absolutely brilliant in that position yeah i agree and i'm a little embarrassed that we've gone 50 minutes of this podcast without even mentioning Dybala but um I couldn't agree more he is when he's fit and when he's uh feeling it he's lights out and uh yeah I hope he returns to that level because in that case then Juve have a player that can you know be that spark be that you know special quality that will take a team to the top of a table um mm-hmm. but anyway uh striker position who who could play ahead of him uh, I think a lot of a lot depends on what happens with Ronaldo, and there's been talk yeah. that he might leave. Uh, I mean, he's still one of the best finishers there is. Uh, he's, <laughs> he, I mean, he scored 24 goals, I think, in 
25 games or something like that, or 25 and 26. He, uh, you know, he's it's incredible. And uh, he, if he stays and he performs like that, then getting the right players around him is probably more important than signing a striker outright. Uh, but I still think that there is an, there's an option to, to get someone in. I think Morata is, is, you know, he's an okay striker. He's, I don't think he should be, he's of the level that he should be starting for Juventus. He's had a good campaign in the way that he's actually made more assists than anyone in the league, which is quite surprising, actually. But but he he's a good option to have. But I think they could look at someone like Fiorentina's Dusan Vlaovic as someone who could really, you know, elevate the quality in, in the strike force. Uh, he scored 13 goals in the league, I think. And he is very interesting because he has a unique blend of of physicality and, and link-up play and finishing ability because uh, he's, he's, he's a big player, he's a big lad and he's mm. someone who can hold off defenders and he can dominate them in the air but he's also really good technically and he has a, you know the sweetest left foot you'll see mm-hmm. if if you look away from, from Paulo Dybala uh, and uh, he's someone who can go and score goals for fun uh, if he gets the right service. So he, he's only 21 uh, and he's someone who definitely will dominate uh, I think Italian football, if he stays for years to come, uh, as one of the best strikers in the league. What, what do you make of him? Do you, have you seen enough of him? I've I've seen plenty of him. He's yeah. uh, I, I agree with you, um, and that that is a serious question. Is um, even if Ronaldo stay, I mean Ronaldo can play at a high level for who knows how many years to come. This I've never seen anything like him really, uh, but he will have to you know he will have to be replaced at some po- at some point and. Um, I think Vlaovic is perfectly capable of being uh, a top number nine in Italy and a top number nine who can, you know, play for a team that uh, is trying to um, finish top. So I think that's a logical explanation. I also uh, think that um, Andre Silva could come back to Italy and maybe, you know, prove himself where he kind of never really got off the ground when he was there with uh, Milan. But uh, I think I think Vlaovic is the is the best uh, best option. Um, I, I mentioned a, uh, a sneaky move for Aguero, but I think you're right that he's just too injury prone to really rely on. But um, you know if they can get him for free, and uh, I mean I, I think he's capable of playing alongside Ronaldo, and uh, I think he would be you know just another if you can add a player of that experience to um, you know it's it's a it's a no brainer, but. Um, again, you know, for like a actual replacement for Ronaldo, I think uh, I think Vlaovic is probably the best option. And and you're right, he has uh, a very unique blend of uh, attributes and, and, and definitely including size and strength. But also, he, to me, he's a little bit of like a Jekko Jr. Um, just because he's not quite as big as Jekko, but he is very similar in the way he plays. And his, I mean, but his tech, his left foot is, uh, yeah, he can he can definitely accelerate away from a player and get a shot off, uh, which Jekko was not. That was not really his forte. But um, mm. yeah, he is an interesting player and definitely a, will be a top uh, top level striker in Serie A. Yeah, and I, I'll just I'm going to add one more player here who would be interested. In, that's the the Red Bull Salzburg striker Patson Daka, who has mm. a goal-scoring record that is off the scales. I mean, he's. Yeah. I think I'm right in saying that he has 23 goals <laughs> in 19 league games this season, which is just unreal. And I know that Salzburg is probably the best team by by some distance in in Austria, but but Daka he uh, he scores goals for fun, and he's someone who will definitely move if not this summer then. 
definitely in next January because he's someone who he, he's very quick and he is a very good finisher and, and his willingness to run in, in behind would fit perfectly in at a lot of clubs because that allows teams that, that, that stretches the defensive team and then you have more space to play in central areas. And for, for a team like Juventus, who wants to dominate in midfield, who wants to have a lot of the ball and, and kind of stagger the midfield with players uh, between the lines, then they need that space. So having a player like him uh, mm-hmm. to, to kind of stretch the team would allow the likes of, of if if we go by our picks, the likes of Locatelli or Milinkovic-Savic or you know, Pellegrini or DePaul or whoever it might be, to get in between the lines. You could have Locatelli in the first, like in, in front of the opponent's midfield, and then you would have, I don't know, Milinkovic-Savic and... You know, Pellegrini or Bentancur, whoever it might be, to play behind the opponent's midfield line. So they can just get the ball, turn, and then they have someone to play in behind. So his his profile is interesting tactically for a team like Juventus to go and actually go and stretch teams. Uh, but I don't I don't think that one will happen, but it would be intriguing as well to see. Yeah, I would agree with that. That would be fun to see. Um, Daka will definitely be on the move this summer. Um I've heard him linked with United as well. Would you like to see him at United being a United fan? Uh, yeah, I think it's interesting. Uh, I think United needs someone who, who stretches team like, teams like that. I don't think Cavani or Martial bring that. So uh, if, if we would have him playing up front and you would have the likes of Rashford and Fernandes and Greenwood around them, I think that would be interesting to see. Uh, so Fernandes would probably really enjoy playing with someone ahead of him who actually create space for him by running in behind. Um, so, yeah, it would be a good, good option for United as well. Exciting young player. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's it. That's it for Juventus. That's, uh, hopefully they listen to your advice, Dobbs, and, uh, you know, we see them <laughs> win the Scudetto next year. Anyway, that's uh, that's what we... Those are our thoughts on Juventus, uh, both tactically and uh, player-wise. So, uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, Anyway, check out the uh, check out the article that uh, inspired this episode on uh, runningtheshowblog.wordpress.com. David wrote an ama- amazing article with a lot of diagrams and everything about uh, Juventus' tactics and also the players that we discussed. Uh, so you can definitely check that out again at uh, runningtheshowblog.wordpress.com. Um, but yeah, that's that's all from us at Up Back Through, a soccer coaching podcast. Uh, thanks for joining us, Dobbs. Uh, I'm going to get ready for bed and uh, hope you have a good day over there. Yeah, I, I will. After this, it can't go wrong. So yeah, thank you for today and have a good night's sleep, man. Thanks, man. We'll, we'll be back for episode soon, uh, four soon, people. So uh, yeah, I'll talk to you soon.